You're listening to the Believe in Islanders show with Matt Watley. Believe in the Islanders podcast is Matt Watley. And you guys hanging out for the next little while or so. We've got another awesome show to get underway here. Again, the Believe in Islanders podcast. Check us out wherever you get your podcasts. Check us out on Twitter at Believe in Isles. And myself, at MattWatling99 on Twitter as well. An awesome show for you guys. We'll recap the first week, some takeaways, some key changes that we saw in this team from last year to this year with obviously Lane Lambert, the head coach, and some tweaks that this team wanted to make in terms of goal scoring. And in the middle of the show, we'll have Alan Hahn on of ESPN Radio, 12 to 3 on ESPN National. MSG Network's the Knicks pre and post guy. But what maybe not everyone knows, the younger Islanders fans certainly don't, Isles beat writer for Newsday from 1999 to 2006. We touched on quite a bit with Alan from, you know, how awesome New York sports can be this season, starting with the two New York teams in the playoffs, in the MLB at least, basketball, the Islanders looking for the playoff spot and things like that. So we've got that to touch on as well. We've also got our mailbag. We've got our voicemail of the week and another mailbag question as well to get to. But we'll start with last week, right? We'll start with what we've already seen from this team that comes in after the first week of the season. Two and one. And listen, we're not going to touch on, you know, oh, they need to win the game against Florida. They need to do this and that. Look, points are going to come. You want to bang points early. You kind of saw it with the Yankees as well, obviously, for a baseball term. Wins matter. doesn't matter when you get them. But let's give it some time, guys. Let's not, you know, jump off the bridge after one loss. And, and I was almost about to do it against Florida. If, if they lost to Anaheim, too, that would have been something. That's a team that gives up a lot of goals, maybe not as good as they hope to be. And then honestly, against San Jose, I thought they would lose just because San Jose was 0-4 going into that game, right? Do we really expect San Jose to be 0-5 to start the season? They're not a great team, but 0-5 is something that I did not expect. I believe it's the first time that San Jose has gone 0-5 in its first five games ever in the history of the franchise. But let's get into those games a little more. We don't need to get into recapping each one, but just a collective sample of three games through three games of this season. A couple things that really stuck out. Shot differential, block shots, and just straight up the amount of shots this team is getting on net. It is unbelievable how many shots this team takes game after game. They're averaging 38.7. 38.7. That's almost 10 more than last season. Last season was 29. And it's early, but if this team can continue to rattle off even 35 shots a game, that would be unbelievable growth from this team. It really would. The idea that they're out shooting their opponents every single game. Florida, they outshot them by four. Anaheim by 15. San Jose by 18. I mean, that's pure domination in those last two games. It was awesome to see. It really was. Because this is a team that struggled offensively last year. We talked about it. We did. I didn't know if they could score as much as they scored so far. But you want to talk about the Florida game? One goal. They got a lot of chances. Bob Rofsky was great. The Anaheim game, 7-1. Absolute dumpster fire for Anaheim. I did not expect that from John Gibson. And he struggled as of late, his last you know couple of years of his career. But I did not expect that at all. And then San Jose, a 5-2 win is a nice win. I'm not going to take anything away from them with that. But to outshoot every single opponent, especially Florida, because that means a lot. And a big part of the outshooting, you know, shots on net, is also the shots that you block and that you keep away from your net. And the Islanders are doing an awesome job with that. They're blocking a lot of shots. Against San Jose, they blocked 15. 
compared to the 21 that San Jose blocked. But when you look at that game, San Jose didn't have the puck much. I only took 46 shots on net. That's a franchise record at UBS Arena for this team. Not a long history at UBS, right? 45 games is it now? But it still was. And that's still something pretty significant for this team. 46 shots on goal, man. That's crazy. Uh, in terms of the Anaheim game, plus six in terms of block shot differential, 20 to 14. And then in Florida, 25 block shots against Florida. And look, you can say, hey, maybe you didn't have the puck as much as you want if you're blocking all these shots. And that's certainly valid. But to get in front of shots from, from Florida, it's good because maybe a block, you know, you block it, it goes out of the zone. All of a sudden, you've got an out man rush the other way. So for the Islanders, it's not only going to be about holding, you know, more shots on that, but also something they did last year very well was that counter strike that counterattack that this team does so well. And a lot of it is because of the defense. A lot of it is because of how the defense has been activating offensively. And even Lane Lambert, the head coach of the team, says, you know, the Fords are doing a really good job breaking into the net, allowing our defense to carry it a little longer. And you kind of saw that on the Zach Parise goal. I guess that was what, against San Jose? I think it was, right? Dobson's got the puck. He fires a shot towards the net. Parise deflects it in. Honors Lee does something very similar, maybe not in his goal, but in general in his career. He's driving to the net. He's got to stick down on the ice. He's ready to go. If the defense are getting activated and you've got a couple guys on this team that can get in front of the net and score the, the dirty goals, deflections, redirects, things like that, you're going to get to your three-plus goals per game average that you want to get to if you're the Islanders. And they've done it so far, right? You've got quick math here. Should not have went to do this. 13 goals in three games. You, you love to see that. And talking about defensively, right, you've taken a lot more chances. You've tried, you know, you've, you've given up some chances the other way, right? For all the goals the Islands have scored, they're high danger Corsi force. So the amount of high danger chances they have, I should say, is 50%. So they're, they've got 35, they're giving up 35 at five on five. And what that means is you're giving up a lot of those chances, right? Almost 12 per game. But you're taking them away too. And that's what's awesome to see. Maybe it was 25 instead of 35. I forgot the number off the top of my head. But when you've got Ilya Sorokin in net and Varlamov was awesome against San Jose, and they can stop those chances more often than the goalie across from them can, you might as well take those chances. Because if the Islanders are going to get 10 high danger scoring opportunities and they're going to give up 10, I have a good feeling that the Islanders are going to score more on those 10 than the other team's going to score on their 10. So you don't want to make it like the Rangers do and completely leave your goalie out to dry. But you can certainly take those chances. And the Islanders have done that so far. And they've done it in a smart manner. And that's kind of what you see in the coaching differential, right? Lane Lambert wants to be more aggressive. He's talked about being more aggressive than not than Barry Trotz. But Barry Trotz was never an aggressive guy. It starts with the house and you build out. For Lane Lambert, you've already got your house built. So let's go look to you know improve some windows, right? Let's go look at the driveway now because you've already got the house. You've already got that house, that thing that you do so well. Because Barry Trotz has left that. That's his imprint on Long Island. After John Tavares leaves, after giving up the most goals in the NHL, he comes in, you give up the least goals in the NHL. That's what Barry Trotz's, or part of his legacy is with this team. So to have that, and to have the ability now to go take some chances, that's fantastic. That's been really fun to watch. Some other notes, you know, we want to touch on, you know, shots on net. But also the amount, you know, the puck possession numbers. The Islanders' Corsi is just around 54%. So that's, you know, scoring more than, the, you know, more chances than the opposition. 
I'm not going to get too far into the weeds with this thing, but their chances are coming at a higher clip with the amount of shots they're getting and the amount of puck possession they're getting. And they're also fourth in the NHL in expected goals for percentage at 68%. So of all the goals that are happening in their game, they're getting 68% of them, or they're expected to get 68% of them. I'll take those odds every day of the week. Keep them coming, baby. Keep them coming. And we'll, we won't get too far into the weeds again of shot differential and expected goals and things like that. But when you have such a small sample size and maybe you miss a play here or there, you know, you go to the bathroom here or there or have to make some food here or there. These are nice little things to catch just to see some trends. And the Islanders are getting a lot of shots on net and they're blocking a lot of shots on net. And that's recipe for a good thing. One other thing I've got to speak on before we get into some other stuff. And we've got, obviously, we've got our top five, bottom five. We've got our, our puck headlines coming up later in this segment before we get to Alan Hahn. I just need to take a minute to dunk and celebrate with Oliver Wallstrom. I got to do it because that man is a stud. And I did not expect this. I said he needs to put up some big numbers for this team to be successful. But no one could tell me you expected this. You can't. Two goals in that one game, right? I'm pulling up the exact numbers now. Three goals in two games played. Two against San Jose, that highlight reel beauty against Anaheim. Another point in that game too. This kid's on pace for two points per game. And I don't expect it to keep happening, but it's nice to have it when you do. Because he could be the difference for this team. He really can. He really can. And what I thought was really interesting is, you know, going into this podcast and into this episode, I was going to say, well, listen, last year he had 12 minutes and four seconds time on ice. This year I thought to myself, he's got to have more. Right? He's got to be at least 15, maybe 16. No, 11.59 on average between the two games, according to ESPN. That's less. That's five seconds less than what he was getting last last year. But to kind of backtrack a little bit here, five penalties into Anaheim, he's not getting on the PK. So that's 10 minutes of ice time that you just removed from him. And frankly, at this point in his career, he's not the number one guy to get out there when you've already lost 10 minutes of five on five, right? After the penalty kill, you're getting Barzell out there. You're getting Anders Lee out there. Brock Nelson out there. And eventually in that game against San Jose, you saw him out there with Brock Nelson and Honors Lee. Right? Lane Lambert switched some lines up. He said that they weren't going as good as we wanted to be in the first period. So we shook some things up. And it was Honors Lee, Brock Nelson, Oliver Washam. And that's a money line. Because Nelson knows what he's doing. He's got that, that two-way forward ability that kind of Barry Trotz instilled on him. Honors Lee's the captain. Enough said. And Washam's got that shot. And that's a scary lineup to go against because honestly, parked in front of the goaltender. Nelson had 37 goals last year. Oliver Walsham's a pure sniper. That's a scary line. As for the other lines, right? Anthony Beauvillier, Matt Barzell, Kyle Palmieri. Again, I would love to see loads of talent on Barzell's line, but maybe that's not the case as of right now. And we touched about it with, with Alan Hahn. Maybe he needs a running mate. Maybe you have to go out there and, and trade for somebody to be his running mate. But for right now, he loves playing with Bo. That's his boy. You know, he'll take it. And for Palmieri, he's got to get going a little bit. And what more do you want from from Matt Barzell? Three assists in three games? It's fine. Again, it's early. So we're not going crazy here, but that's a solid line where you say, okay, I like what Bo does. I like the energy he brings. I like the forecheck he brings. Palmieri should have a knack for the net. And Barzell's got the wheels and the creativity to hopefully try to scheme these guys open a little bit. 
And then the last line, Parise Pajot Bailey, nice lockdown defensive veteran kind of group. Maybe they can buy you a goal, but it seems like they're a kind of line that can almost hold on to the puck a lot more. They can be good in their own end, get the puck into the offensive zone, start cycling a little bit, and then hopefully pass it on to Nelson's line or Barzell's line. And, and then that's a nice thing to have, right, for this team. But to get back to the nuts and bolts of what after week one I say, my main message, if you want to take away from this episode is every single NHL fan, if they're driving the car, get over to the left pedal, not the right one, not the gas, go to the left, the brake. And I say pump the brakes. Pump them a little bit. For Islanders fans, Detroit Red Wing fans, Philadelphia fans, Toronto fans, everyone pump the brakes. Because I can tell you this, Toronto, Philadelphia, who before we started recording on Wednesday was 3-0, is not that good. They are not a 3-0 team. Minnesota, not an 0-3 team. They're much better than that. Now, could Philadelphia make the playoffs? I see very unlikely, but I guess they could. Their goaltending has been phenomenal. Two goals allowed. That defense has been tremendous. They beat Tampa. Won't take that away from them. They banked six points. But to think that they're going to dominate and stay above the Metropolitan probably won't happen. Toronto, with some pretty comical losses, right, to the Canadians and then to the Coyotes. The Coyotes were a plus 450 dog, by the way, in that game. The greatest underdog with the worst odds to win a game to end up winning a game in quite some time in the NHL. Let's pump the brakes on all these teams. The Islanders, though, at 2-1, what they've done is noticeably different from last year's team. They're getting more shots on net. They're getting, you know, they're a little more aggressive, and I love to see that. That's what we want to see from this team. But again, maybe that changes against a team like Tampa coming up. When you've got to kind of tighten up a little bit. You can't give Steven Stamkos the opportunities that Timo Meyer's getting with San Jose. Right? You want to be a little more defensive against Stamkos and Kucherov. Whereas against Timo Meyer, if he gets a great A opportunity, he's probably not hitting it as much the same clip that Stamkos does. But again, just a great start for the Islanders nonetheless. Let's get into some sound check. We've got some sound from the New York Islanders. And we'll start with Oliver Wallstrom. This was after the Anaheim game saying, you know, talking about this veteran group that this team has and how excited he is to play with this team. Look, you have a good group. You have a veteran group. That helps come playoff time. It does. And maybe you need a little more talent than they have right now. But it's a good infrastructure. It's a good base. Because when the Islanders make it to, hopefully, the conference finals again, you're not going to sit there saying, hey, do they know how to lose? Do they know? Did they learn how to win? These guys are all battle-tested. Parise's been there, right? Barzell's had a couple runs in him. Pajot had a couple runs in Ottawa before he came to the Islanders. Sorokin's a stud. And frankly, he doesn't need to be battle-tested. He's a stud. And he did it in Russia. But one thing I really liked from Oliver Wallstrom as well is saying, this team wants to play fast, play aggressive. That's what you got to do to win in the NHL these days. You can't sit back. It's not the early 1900s or the early 1990s, I'm sorry, or the early 2000s. you got to play fast. you got to be aggressive. Look at Colorado. 
Look at the Rangers. Look at Tampa. Look at Vegas when they're at their best. You got to be aggressive, and the Islanders are doing that in these first couple games. One last thing we'll hear from Lane Lambert on some pacing and things like that, and also from the offense coming from the defense. Yeah, well, I, I, uh, you know, I was confident I, because of the good things that I saw in game one. Um, you know, and I talked about little pockets that needed to be improved on, um, you know, and we, we talked about it. We've worked on it, and, uh, you know, we, we saw a little bit more of it coming into play uh, tonight. You know, we moved the puck a little quicker, and we were, we were together as a group, and as a result, it led to more transition. As we know, it's a hard league to score in, and, uh, you know, you need help from your defense to, to join the rush and potentially create some outnumbered rushes and attacks. And, um, you know, really, our forwards are doing a really good job of going to the net, and, you know, when we deliver pucks, they're there. Man, the one thing <laughs> I got to say on him, he sure does come from the Barry Trotz school of not saying a damn thing to the media. Because he'll say, oh, yeah, we like to get offense from our defense, and that's it. Listening to his press conferences, but it, I mean, Pete's still turn of saying too much, right? But let's move on now to quick puck headlines. Gabe Landeskog out 12 weeks for Colorado after having arthroscopic knee surgery. It started bugging him apparently during training camp. He also had surgery on his knee. March 14th of last year, so it's, it's tough for them missing their captain for what will be 12 weeks, close to three months, but again, you're in the Central Division. You can win that division without him or with him, or you'll be in the top four at least. So as long as he's healthy come playoff team, time for that team, that's all that matters. But again, it does stink that Gabe Landeskog is out for the Colorado Avalanche. It's fun watching him play and all that jazz. Uh, one thing that does impact the Islanders is Aaron Ekblad left last week's game against Boston with a lower body injury. He'll be put on LTIR, so he has to be out at least 10 games and 24 days. Still, you know, uh, Bill Zito says it's not season-ending, his GM. They'll still be without Anthony Duclair, who should be back in December, January. And this could be more severe for this team than, say, losing Landeskog for the, the Avalanche. Because now you've got a defense of Matt Kirsted, Gustav Forsling, that's your top D pair. Josh Mahura, who was just waived by Anaheim to start the season. Radko Gudis, and then Lucas Carlson and Mark Stahl. Look, I'm a, I'm a hockey guy. I watch a lot of games. I know four of those guys, and one of them is Mark Stahl. And I, he he doesn't really count, right? He's a little up there in age. He's, he's kind of past his prime. So this is a struggling team defensively that needs to rely on their goal thing and the rest of their lineup to actually stay afloat in a very tough division. I still see them making the playoffs, but maybe they drop down a little bit. Maybe these are some winnable games for this team and the Islanders have them come up later in the week. And one last story, the salary cap could increase by at least $4 million ahead of next season, and that's huge for every team. Now listen, it's contingent on the escrow being paid back. The players owe the NHL some money after the COVID pause, but the league made half a billion dollars in hockey-related revenue more than expected last season. And if that stays up and they pay it all off by the end of this year, you'll see a $4 million increase as opposed to the $1 million bump, and that's coming from uh, the voice of Gary Bettman, the commissioner of the of the NHL. So if that repayment's done after this year and is expected to be done after next year, that helps the Islanders. $4 million in your pocket. Go sign whoever. Maybe it's Patrick Kane, who you want to bring in. Helps a lot of teams, though. So for the Islanders, it's about using that money as best you can. Go out there and find a player that you need. 
helps a lot when you got Noah Dobson coming up in a couple of years, and he's been dynamic. How about two goals for Noah Dobson? How about the offense from the defense real quickly? Almost forgot about that. Let me try to quickly bring that up here. Just the, the sheer number of goal scoring from the Islanders' defense has been incredible. Two goals for Dobson. Salo, I think, had two goals. And then Mayfield had two. That is tremendous for the Islanders. And again, it goes back to the, uh, the defense pushing the play. When was the last time the Islanders had this many goal, score goals from the defense? You just don't really see it too much. And for this team to have that secondary scoring, it's so important because it adds another layer to your, your offense. Maybe Matt Barzell is not scoring 40 goals, but if he can get 20, and now Noah Dobson's leading the team with four points and two goals, and you look at Robin Salah with two goals and Mayfield with two goals, that's awesome. That's crazy. That's not what you'd expect from this team. So it's been super awesome to watch those guys put the puck in the net and super important for this team to do that. And with that, we'll take a quick break. We'll chat with Alan Hahn on the other side of great on the other side. Apologies for a little spotty connection to say the least in a couple of moments, but it was very brief and it was just fantastic talking to Alan Hahn. An absolute joy, an absolute pleasure talking to Alan. So we'll throw it over to that now. And we welcome in Alan Hahn to the Believe in Islanders podcast. Alan radio host for ESPN Radio, MSG Network's pre and post for the New York Knicks, and an analyst for the Knicks. Alan, thanks for joining us today. Good to be here. So, obviously, you also covered the team in the early 2000s for Newsday. Do you have sort of, a, I guess, a favorite memory of sorts when you were covering the team? Obviously, you know, now almost 15 years ago. Yeah. Uh, don't remind me how long it's been. Um, <laughs> yeah, it, it's, it's the one that stands out to me the most because of what it meant at the time. You know, there's right now, so many fans have been used to this team being competitive, making the playoffs. I mean, we're talking about back-to-back Final Fours just a couple of years ago and what a run a couple of years ago was. I mean, you're talking about one goal away from getting to the final uh, in the bubble. Like, it just, you know, there was what the team is today was nothing like that when I covered it you know i know probably a lot of people have heard the stories might know the legend of john spano we all know you know the 30 for 30 that was done about all that stuff and it's that truth is stranger than fiction kind of thing so when i stepped in to cover the team in the late 90s they were an abomination of a franchise they'd gone through i think they were about their third ownership change in like a four-year span the owner john spano was in jail and the current owners when i took over the beat just wanted the team so they could get the building and the, and the property around the arena. That's all they cared. They didn't really want to run a hockey team. So, you know, here's my shoestring budget. Mike Milbury was a GME. He used to joke about how the Rangers send the corporate jet to talk to free agents and he would take the corporate bicycle. Like that's a true story. And I mean, I, I actually, there was a year when I covered the team, they took Southwest airlines. They didn't have a charter Southwest, Matt, you don't know have Southwest airline. They give you, Back then, they gave you a boarding card with a number on it. Now, of course, we print all this stuff out on the internet. But back then, you were given a boarding card when you checked in, and it had a number on it. And I remember waiting in line with, with these players, like just like if they're regular people, and they're going to a game. They got to play a game the next day. And they're, they're like trying to see if that, well, what if I, if I, you know, if I sign this puck for you, can you give me a group so I can get a better seat? Like they were trying whatever they could to get better seats. That's how pathetic this was. And so in 2002, you know, the 2001-2 season, Peter Laviolette was the head coach. He was – nobody knew him before. He had come out of the, uh, the minor leagues, 
And it was a bit of a risky hire because a lot of people thought they were going to go with the experience and Ted Nolan, they didn't. So they bring in Peter LaViolette out of the uh, Providence Bruins. And he did a phenomenal job as a coach. They, of course, made moves. Michael Pecka, Adrian O'Coyne, um, the year before they got Roman Hamerlich. They, they had Alexa Yashin was the big you know swing. So they, they had a really good team. And uh, Chris Osgood, they added at the end there, too, with the cup experience. And they start out the season red hot. They play, you know, really, really well all season. And I remember, and I'll never forget it, being in the Coliseum for a game against the Washington Capitals that was to clinch the playoff berth, which would have been their first playoff berth in seven years. And it felt like the long, it felt like 20 years. And that building, that day, I'll never forget it. Because I was in that building covering games when it was raining and I was holding up an umbrella because it was leaking in the building. There was no one there. We used to call it back in the, in the day they had AT&T. They called it a friends and family plan that you could get. We called it. That was the crowd. It was an AT&T crowd, friends and family. There was nobody. There was no fans there. It was empty. You think about what UBS is like to, to, to today, these days, what the Coliseum was just a couple of years ago. Empty building, no energy, no life. Owen Nolan told me it's a depressing place to play. And there we are in 2002 in, I think it was March or April. And it was packed and they were chanting and singing and cheering every minute because the playoffs were about to happen. All they had to do was win the game. They held on to win until they had a big lead. They held on to win. And the celebration of just clinching the playoffs for me, it was sort of like this cathartic moment of, wow, I was here to see this, the, the most depressing era in franchise history come to an end. And it was a special thing. I'll never forget just the looks on so many people's faces of, we're back. It was so cool to see. And then later that season, if I'm not mistaken, the Sean Bates penalty shot game against Toronto yep. comes down. And that oh, was that uh, serious. That was yeah, unbelievable. My, my brother's birthday uh, party was at that game. And he took a couple friends <laughs> and... I was too young to be there. And if it didn't go there, I might've gone deaf for life. Just how loud it was in that, are in that uh, arena. Yes. I always tell people that that penalty shot was a moment. There's no question, but the moment in the, in that series that really struck me and I've never had this experience before in my life. And I've been in a lot of arenas, but it was game six of that series when, you know, they were getting retribution because Pekka had been, uh, he'd been hurt in the previous game. So was Kenny Johnson. And so they were out two very important players and it felt like the series was over down three, two going home, two critical players taken out by, you know, some pretty questionable plays on the, on this part of the Leafs and LaViolette loaded up the lineup and he had guys like, I mean, one of, one of the, one of the best players, Steve Webb is a guy that if he played today would be a legend. Like they, you know, he was a beloved player because of how hard he played and he knew what the mission was that night you know is to make sure you set that physical tone and the first time he came off the bench and he made a beeline for Darcy Tucker who took out Pekka in the previous game I mean made a beeline for him and just knocked him skate overhead like just flipped him over there was a roar that I don't know if you've ever experienced they call it white noise where you can't hear anything it's so I know it makes no sense you it's so loud you can't hear anything that literally happened where i heard a cheer and then i heard nothing 
for like maybe like a second or two. And then I heard, you know, the cheers again. And it was such a like a, a weird experience. Like, That's how loud the building was for just a, a split second because of that moment. Again, the passion that came out. And of course, you know, he, Eric Cairns, really put a beat down on the Leafs. They end up winning the game to force a game seven which, again, was one of those memorable moments. It was fun. I mean, it was bringing life back to a franchise that had been left for dead. And for me, all these years later, to see it thriving as it is with a competitive team, with a beautiful new arena, with stable ownership who get it, it it's, it's like, I feel like that's another world. Like, did that really happen? Did I actually cover this team where it felt like any moment they were going to get you know, sold and sent to Kansas City or Quebec? You know, it's what makes, I think, this era special to old guys like me who really thought we were going to lose this franchise. Right. And I was going to ask you, did you ever imagine going from what it was, you know, to what it is now? I, You know, one of the stories that your former radio host out on ESPN, Rick DiPietro, tells is having garbage pails as the cold tubs with, you know, with ice from the freezer. That's true. Could you, That's could you true. ever imagine yep. going from that to what it is now? No. I go into Northwell, the ice center. My son plays hockey. My daughter plays hockey. So they, they spend a lot of time in that rink. And I go into that facility, and I think this is the Islanders' practice facility. When I covered the team, their practice facility was Iceworks and Syosset. For anybody that plays hockey on Long Island, you know what Iceworks is. It's a, it's a one rink with a small rink. Uh, it's a small, it's a modest facility. You know, it's nothing great, but it's, it is what it is. The Islanders eventually, when Charles Wong took over, put some money into the into that facility. But again, when I covered them, <laughs> there was no money put into it. The locker room it was in bad. Like, if, if, like is this a is this a National Hockey League team or is this a minor league team? It was embarrassing, just what they had to work with as a professional hockey team versus again what you see today. So yeah, it, it does blow my mind the comparisons to what this team was just about 25 years ago compared to what they are now. Uh, it's night and day. And, and again, you know, Ledecky, Malkin, uh, even, you know, Lamarillo, what they have done with this franchise cannot be overstated. For sure. For sure. And looking now, you, you were there during the fish sticks era. You wrote the, one of the books on it, right? The fish stick, uh, fish sticks, the rise yeah. and fall of the New York Islanders. There's been a rumor on, on Twitter, and it feels pretty legitimate. The guy that tweeted out is someone that gets these Jersey sort of rumors correct more often than not, that the Islanders <laughs> might be bringing back the fisherman jerseys. He described yeah. it as a, a Navy base, less teal, more orange. As someone who kind of yes. lived it, are you, are, you in, are you in for the jerseys, or should they be erased from just the history of the world? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, my initial reaction to those rumors and then hearing about it and uh, being told by some people, hey, look, it's inevitable because, you know, it's I'll blame you. It's your generation. You guys <laughs> love it. And it's funny because it was geared when they first introduced it. I was actually an intern with the Islanders when they introduced it. And I remember being there. I was at the press conference. I remember being there and I'm standing next to another guy who was an intern and we looked at each other and we're both like, these are terrible. Like who likes this? And we found out it's well, one of the, one of the owners was the gang of four ownership uh, era back then. One of them saw like, you know, the, the San Jose sharks was brand new to the league and they had the shark, you know, logo and kids loved it. Cause it had, you know, the, the cool teal and blue and all that stuff and black. 
then there was the Anaheim Mighty Ducks, and they had, of course, the Duck and all that. And so they felt like they needed to change it up. And this is what they came up with, this, you know, Stan Fischler-looking bearded Fisher guy. And we're both like, this is trash. Like, it's terrible. And one of the players, actually, when they were told they're going away from that logo, he was like, good, we look like idiots. <laughs> like, they hated it, the players. But it was geared towards a younger generation. It's just funny how it took, you know, almost 30 years for a younger generation to actually appreciate it. Well, so now I think it's like retro is- I guess so. Yeah, I guess that's what it is, right? That they're considering that retro. Yeah, everyone loves the I, retro. Well, I, the Islands have had one logo the in, their entire, you know, history, except for, yeah. you know, the Fisherman logo. So it's like, get, you know, get me the, the, the San Jose Sharks one. The old school LA Kings jersey is, is so cool. Like, I want to see something different for, for the Islanders, but also the... Yeah, it, it I can't agree. be a main jersey, I, I'll say that. It, it's, I don't know. I, when when I, we were thinking alternate, it was the black jersey with just the NY and the stick. Take away the island, take away the word, the letters. I thought that was a pretty badass logo. Like, I, I love that one. Now, I know everybody I, associates it with Brooklyn, mm-hmm. but I just, I, I love that logo. There's something I think is kind of cool about it, but I get fans who like the idea of a third alternate logo. I just think if you wanted to do it, now look, you know, do I think it's inevitable? Yes. Do I wish they don't go back to it? Yes. Because I, I see that and I just think really bad teams. <laughs> like That's what I think. I, I just think of awful hockey when I see that logo. Now, maybe they could clean that and maybe they can have success in it and it can turn around and become like, you know, a beloved, you know, logo. Who knows? But if I, if I was doing it, if somebody ever was dumb enough to ask me what I think, I thought the lighthouse patch that was on the shoulder of that of that jersey it was a lighthouse. I thought if you want to bring something back, bring that back. Make that the logo. Just put the lighthouse on it. It's pretty. It's a pretty sweet logo, and it works instead of just you know the kind of goofy looking mascot. I don't know. Yeah, and kind it's of weird. Under- it's, like, it's like what what if the Flyers? What if the Flyers? You know, put that. Who, who's that? Uh, the dopey mascot oh, that they have now. Gritty, yeah. What what if they put him on their jersey? It's similar to that. Like that's what it feels like. It's like like it's not like when the when the Bruins went back to the old logo that actually had like I think it's a bear or something like that that they put. Like that's different. They had that a hundred years ago. This this is it's just goofy looking. But hey, if the people like it and they're gonna buy it, it's good for business, right? And that's why you yep. do it. Yeah, and the lighthouse, if that was a logo, would be cool, kind of nod to Charles Wong and, you know, the failed lighthouse project and kind of uh, keeping him in see, mind. So you know your stuff. Good for yep. you. You're doing your own. I love it. You you got the reference. That's literally what I would look at that as, sort of a homage to Charles Wong and the project that he never was able to accomplish. But without that man, this franchise is not here. That's fact. Yeah. He is not that, – that franchise is not here if, if not for Charles Wong. So it would have been a good one, but they're not doing it. So – We'll see. Yeah, maybe in the next little while they'll they'll get they'll bring it back in the former intern to uh design the jersey. Yeah, we'll speak it into existence. That's what we'll do. Yeah. Uh, so more modern time, I guess. Now, just before the season started, Matt Barzell signs his eight year extension, and in, yeah. in my eyes, at least, he's someone that has that superstar moxie. Right? He's got the he's dynamic on the ice. He's got the hair. He's got the style. He was even in like a photo shoot or a spread with uh, James Harden for Adidas a couple years ago. But he hasn't really been like a top 10 
athlete or star in New York sports? Like, do you think he can ever get yeah. there? Or is there something about the Islanders and about hockey in this market that sort of pulls him back a little bit? Well, I, I do think there's a little of that. I do think when you consider the fact that there was a time where, you know, the, the best defenseman in the league, the best goalie in the league, the best center in the league, and the best scorer in the league were all on the Islanders, and none of them were stars. That says a lot, right? There was a time in the 80s where the Islanders had the best of everything. You know, they were winning cups every year, and they were the best. And they weren't celebrated as such because they were on the island. Now, locally, they were legends. But when you ever, when you ever talk about New York history, they don't come up much. Uh, you, you'll get, you know, you'll get the Brooklyn Dodgers, you know, winning a World Series as like a great New York moment. You're like, what? They won one. What are you talking about? Like this team won four in a row. No one would win four in a row again. No one. Like, how is this not celebrated? But it's not. The Rangers 94 Cup is celebrated more in New York history than four straight by the Islanders. So I do think it just has to do with the stigma of it's not really a New York City team. Okay. But that doesn't mean, though, that in today's sports world where you have social media and you have so much coverage now than you used to, that it can't happen. But I'll tell you how it happens for Barzell. A, he has an epic year where he's just lighting up the league. He can't just be like a, you know, one of the top 15 scorers. Like, that's not enough. He's got to be like a, he's got to be up for the heart. He's got to be a guy that you're like, this guy should win the MVP. You have that, and then you have the Islanders as, which they have been, one of the top teams in the league. But I think to make him a bigger star in New York, the Rangers and Islanders have to be good together, like number one and number two in the East. Like that's how good. They have to be two of the best teams in the, in the East or in the league. And so when they play each other, it's an event. And then he shows out. Three-point night, two goals and assist, or you know, a goal, two assists, just shows out, dazzles. That's when the legend grows. I think the sport isn't big enough. Uh, as far as platform goes, there's so much to consume in New York. It will get buried underneath so much else. Brees Hall has a great game for the Jets, and you know, it's all you're talking about, right? Like it's just the way it works. If RJ Barrett has a big night tonight in the season opener. That's all everybody will be talking about. So you have to do something above average, above, like even way above. Like you, it has to be elite for him to get that kind of uh, attention. Right. And, and, and with the coach, you know, who, go ahead, sorry. Yeah. No, I just was saying, and, you know, it, it's the sport that modesty is something that dominates. So the other sports is a lot more flash. There's a lot more of that that goes on. But he is, if you watch him, he is dazzling. I mean, his edges are probably the best in the league. I mean, he's incredible on his edges. And he's fun to watch. But it's got to result in points. It's got to result in highlights. It's got to result in flash and things that just make you like, you know, sports center top 10 play every, like every other night. That's the reality of it. To become, you know, a big name in New York sports, you've got to outshine others who get quicker shine than hockey does yeah and it's almost tough to do it this year in particular with how good new york sports have been right it's been a minute but the jets and giants above 500 well, that's you know, the point. yankees and mets in the postseason mm -hmm. there's a chance 
you know, almost every team from New York could make a playoff, make a playoffs this year in, in every sport, at least multiple, right? The Knicks and Nets have a good chance for it. We already talked about football. Baseball's already yep. done it. Like, how great is it being a New York sports fan right now? Yeah, it, it, well, I mean, considering the past decade of futility where no one has done anything. I mean, the Mets and Rangers are the only two teams, right, that have actually played in a championship round. Right. If I'm not mistaken, I, I can't I don't think anybody else did since since right, since the Giants won the Super Bowl in 2011. Yeah, the Rangers we had the Kings years. and then the yeah, Mets the had the Royals. The Kings. Yeah. Yeah. And that's it. So you really just haven't had, you know, the Yankees have gotten to the uh, LCS a couple of times, but that, we don't count that. Right. The, the Islanders got to, you know, the conference finals, but we don't we don't count. Uh, Final four is a good year. Championship round is a great year. Winning a championship, of course, is an epic year. So in New York, we have so many teams and it's, it's been such a long time since any of them have won a championship and very few have played for a championship. So just to have everybody and, and while, you know, while the Rangers, Rangers got to the cup, while the Mets got to the uh, world series, there were a lot of other teams that they were terrible, you know, they're bad. So what you're saying is true. We haven't seen this where, let's see, from the start of the calendar year, we have had playoff type, you know, teams. Now, last year sports, you know, we didn't quite have it because the Islanders didn't get there. Rangers didn't have a great run. The Nets got there, but were out quick. Knicks didn't get there. You know, so this calendar year, no, but let's see if this sports calendar year can turn into something. And I always think the sports calendar starts in the fall, right? So if you want to do it that way, you do it with the baseball teams first. So they've, they've held up their end of the bargain. The football teams are off to good starts. We'll see if either one of them can get a wild card spot. That's iffy, but they could. And then the Nets and Knicks, of course, have to do their, their part as well. And the Nets look like a team that should make the playoffs and the Knicks are sort of on that periphery. You know, can they get there? But it'd be something to see if, Everybody, and then obviously, as you mentioned, Islanders, Rangers. Rangers look like a juggernaut, and the Islanders look like they're offensively, you know, they're opening up, and and that'll be a good thing. And we know what they are. I mean, last year was a bit of an aberration. They had a lot of injuries and some issues. They should be a playoff team this year as well. So yeah, be great to have New York sports where everybody's successful. And I wonder how that also feeds into: does it help or does it hurt the hockey teams because? There's either more attention or less attention on them. Right, and we're joined by Alan Hahn of ESPN Radio and MSG Networks. Alan, one last one for you. Looking at this Islanders team, pretty much the same roster as last year, right? You bring in pretty much two new players, but, you know, more yeah. role players. When you look at a team and they, and they underperform the last year before, they're supposed to be a playoff team. They want to make playoffs. Does keeping the team together, does that kind of almost force that hunger and, and help them get better? Or do you think there is maybe a, a desire to go out and get a more impactful player after, you know, a disappointing season? That's a great question because to me, if you had all the pieces and just underperformed, then you bring in a new voice that might shake it up and wake it up. And, you know, and all of a sudden it's like, okay, they found what they needed. We've seen that throughout history where, you know, the coach only takes them so far, the next coach comes in and then just unlocks something that, you know, we knew they had, but they just couldn't get over the hump. I don't think that's this because I just feel like there's not enough firepower on this team. You know, they're, what they're trying to do 
which is smart, is they're trying to engage their defense, their defensemen a lot more to be more offensive minded, to be more involved in it, you know, activate them in the offensive zone a lot more rather than be so protective. And they were very obviously what, what Barry Trotz always did was very similar to Tom Thibodeau. It's always about defense first, you know, take care of your zone, everything else take care of itself. They're being more aggressive because today's game is more aggressive offensively. But I still don't know if they have enough. If you watch some of the top teams, offensive teams in the league, you know, do the Islanders have enough offensive skill, like true talent? Even just compare them to the Rangers. Compare them to Colorado. You know, I, I don't know if they do. So, you know, I mean, compare them to Florida. So I just think, well, what Florida was, I guess. But I, I just feel like this is it's they're gonna be good, but I and you know that they were trying to get offensive skill, they just couldn't get anybody to come here. I believe Johnny Goudreau just kind of used them as leverage, never really intended to come here. Um I I think they've got to keep looking to try to find a piece that you could put with Barzell to give you a bona fide top line. And right now they're more about a team that has depth that can get you four lines rather than a team that has that killer line and don't dare put them on the power play because it's, you know, you know, they're going to school. That's, they're still lacking that. And I don't know how you find that. Right. And I, I talked about it last week where when they played the lightning in those two playoff series, it was never a yeah. chance. Like you, you lost the, one of those games, one, nothing, the deciding game. And it was like, you yeah. knew they weren't scoring goal that game. So Painful. maybe it's Patrick Kane at the and, deadline. And think you about know, it. Maybe it's Tarasenko. Yep. Yeah. It's got to be something like that, something a little more dynamic, someone that can play with Barzal too because he does like to hold the puck a lot, and that can be tough to play with sometimes. A guy that you're just watching him skate and you're trying to figure out what is he doing. You know, that can be frustrating. You know, there's, there's that. But, yeah, game seven, those kill you, especially when I believe I believe the, the one goal was a shorthanded goal, right? It was on your own damn power play yeah like that's is. that's the killer right that's the killer so and you did everything Islanders. right <laughs> yeah yeah it, it it definitely felt like it but yeah they have again they have depth but sometimes when you have depth that means you don't have enough top end talent and that's still kind of the challenge here for this team is can they find the top end talent it's almost like the opposite of the maple leaves like the Maple Leafs are so top heavy and their defensive core historically has never been good enough. So it hurts them in a playoff series because you need depth in a playoff series. But you, you know, to get a high seed and to get, you know, to dominate a regular season, you've got to have like a killer line or two that, you know, is just going to get your points on the regular. So you get through some of the tough times of the season. Whereas last year you saw the Islanders, they just went through such an offensive funk for such a long time. And of course, you know, what happened with COVID was so unfair. Making them play with with basically Bridgeport, that was unfair as well. So we'll see. I, I, but no, I, I don't think this roster can be complete. I think they've got to keep looking and find a way to add, you know, a, 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 a high end, even if it's later in his career, but a high end offensive talent that can, uh, that can raise the stakes a little bit for them when it comes to the playoffs and putting pressure on another team offensively. Yeah, and Alan, thank you so much for your time. We got to run, but hopefully we get to do this again down the road. This was awesome. Excellent. Good stuff.
And thanks again to Alan Hahn for joining us here on the Believe in Islanders podcast. Just an absolute treat. And I told him after the interview that his show with Rick DiPietro on ESPN Radio in New York was basically what brought me to sports radio. It was the first show I ever listened to religiously in early high school. It might have been ages ago because it was an Islander player in Rick DiPietro. And Alan Hahn was kind of, you know, there for the ride, but it was absolutely unbelievable to get to talk to him and it's just so crazy to hear the stories from when he covered the team, when the team wasn't as well off as obviously it is now. And to fast forward to now is is unbelievable to see. And I agree with him for the most part. You know, I, I kind of like the idea of the fisherman jersey. I'd like a little more teal than the rumored jersey had. But it is kind of cool. I mean, I'm not gonna lie, I haven't I have a fisherman sweatshirt, I'm not gonna lie. But again, thanks for Alan for taking a couple minutes of his time and joining us here. All right, let's get back to business. Top five, bottom five in the NHL. We'll run through it kind of quickly, but the top is the Hurricanes, Calgary, the Avalanche, the Rangers, and the Boston Bruins jump in there. Them scoring 21 goals through four games is crazy to me. I cannot believe that. And they've also given up 15, which is quite a lot. But for that team to score 21 goals, I did not expect it without Brad Marchand. So kudos to them. The Rangers, they're the Rangers. The Avalanche, I had them in there, so they weren't going anywhere. And then the Hurricanes and Flames right there as well. Shout out Calgary for winning the Battle of Alberta earlier in the week. Or I guess last week, within the last week. That was awesome. If, if you can, ESPN Plus, watch those games because they are bat crazy. Bat-ish crazy, if you know what I mean. All right, but the play of the week now, what everyone's been waiting for. Who else but Oliver Wallstrom, his first goal of the season. Taking on the Anaheim Ducks, a breakaway beauty. Strom gave it away in his own end. Pajot springs a man on a breakaway. Islanders send Wallstrom in. Deke shoots. He scores! Wally has got his first of the year. It is 3-0 New York. And again, it's better to almost watch it than to hear it. And shout out to WRHU, Hofstra Radio, and Chris King on the call for Wallstrom's goal. That was just... Absolutely spectacular. A beauty of a goal. And, and funny story about that game against Anaheim. I was coming back from work listening to the game. Sitting in the Taco Bell drive-thru. Yes, I know. It was late. Don't judge me. I need some Taco Bell. I was hungry. I worked a long day. But I was sitting in the drive-thru for a half hour. And that team, no joke, scored three goals as I sat there listening to the game. That's unbelievable. The speed... I mean, the islands were more efficient than the Taco Bell at that point because there was like six cars in line. Guy in front of me ordered like $30 worth of stuff. I was there. I wanted one little box, right? Get my Baja Blast and be on with it. Meanwhile, the islanders scored three times. So maybe I should wait in line at Taco Bell more often. I would enjoy it. My wallet, you know, my stomach, maybe not so much. All right. Let's get to the week ahead, though, for the islanders. New Jersey on Thursday. So tonight, if you're listening to this on a Thursday. At Tampa on Saturday, at Florida Sunday, and then taking on the Rangers at home on Wednesday. The only uh, home game against the Rangers, that is. So be sure, you know, part of the Blue and Orange Army, they're saying pack the pack UBS, pack the barn, pack the stable. Keep Rangers fans out of there because you only get one game against the Rangers. I can't make it, unfortunately, but if you got tickets for that game, sell, sell for the, the Devils game. Don't sell for the Rangers game. Come on. I'm, I'm hoping for the show to have something special 
for that Ranger game, concoct something up. But if not, we've got two more cracks at it. So be sure to stay locked in right here on Believe in Islander Show. But now let's get to the bets. And I don't really want to touch on them because last week I think I was 2-0, but between Monday of this week and Tuesday of this week, combined 0 for 7. So we're in we're in the we're in a hole here. We need a couple winners. But again, just keep in mind, I'm betting like a half unit on all these. I get a couple bets a night. Half unit, it's all we need. Nothing crazy. But I'll pull up my my FanDuel account here as we get ready for the couple picks that I do have. And I, I really like these actually. I like them a lot. Because the value's there. Right? They make sense. I can see it happening. And you're getting plus money on these two. So Thursday night, the Capitals on the road taking on Ottawa. Neither team played today. Capitals are plus 100 on the puck line. Or is it money line? Yeah, I think it's puck line, right? The money line, same thing. So give me the Washington Capitals plus 100 taking on Ottawa on the road. And then the other game I have, I actually like the, De- the Islanders minus one and a half against the Devils. Plus 176 is great value. And... The Islanders have won all the games they've won by multiple goals. You have the empty net opportunity. So I, I kind of like that if I got to lean one way with the Islanders games. So give me that. Speaking of games and exciting games to watch, game of the week, none other than tonight, the Arizona Coyotes taking on the Montreal. Nope, kidding. Not that game. Not Arizona-Montreal, the battle of teams that beat Toronto. Just a joke. Don't watch that game. Please don't. I mean, I'm probably going to watch it because I'm a sicko. And I think that the peak comedy of that game would be off the charts. Watching the basically a tank bowl, game four. I would like Montreal in that game. though. They got some fun pieces. Cole Caulfield. Their defense is some suspects, say the least. But they've got some fun weapons. And Martin St. Louis coaching there. So I'll probably check it out a little bit. But this is the game you want to watch. Friday night. 7.30, 7.30, ESPN Plus, Battle of Florida. Tampa Bay taking on Florida. And how about this? Not only you get to watch that game, how about a little scouting for Tampa and Florida the next the next weekend? Because you got Tampa Saturday, Florida Sunday. It's perfect. So dabble in that 7.30 on Friday. Enjoy it. Why not? Let's, let's roll through it. But that's all the time we have right now for the Believe in the Islander show. Thank you for joining us. We appreciate it. Follow us on TikTok or not TikTok, Alan Twitter, at Believe in Isles. Follow me on TikTok if you want Matt Watling. I'll try to get some stuff out there. And again, follow me at MattWatling99. Oh, wait, we almost forgot. I'm sorry. The mailbag question. The mailbag question of the day comes from Mike on Long Island. And the question for from Mike was, what pieces are you willing to move at the deadline? What do you think Lou should stay away from in terms of assets he should keep? And I look at what pieces you need to acquire. I want to move. I would probably move Willem Defoe. Defoe, rather. I'm sorry. Wouldn't want to move Atu Ratty. I'd definitely move a first-round pick. I'd move two first-round picks. But again, keep Ratty. Keep a couple other pieces. But there's not a lot I would really keep if you think the guy's going to make you that much better. Because as Alan Hahn said, they need a score. They need a little more. So go out there and get a little more. And now that's all the time we have for the Believe in the Islander show. We'll catch you guys next week. Same place. Thank you for listening. Subscribe, rate, review, all that good jazz. And let's get another mailbag question in there because the questions of the week got to start coming. Let's go. Let's see it. We'll catch you guys next week. And thank you all for tuning in 
the Believe in Islanders podcast. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.